Thanks, Rod. Thanks, team. Great to have you. Well, it's Advent season, and uh, one of the things that we should be experiencing is joy, uh, the joy of the Lord. And it's one of those things where you can say it, uh, but how do you actually experience it? Uh, is it just words uh, that we say, or, or do we really experience the joy of the Lord? Uh, you know, when you think of it, we're saying, okay, there's a God out there somewhere who created this whole wide universe, and somehow or other we have interaction with that God. And uh, in some mysterious way, it's not like distant, it's really personal. I mean, it's so personal that it actually impacts our lives and we experience joy. I mean, that's an amazing thing. And we want to look at that and talk about how do you and I experience, in, in a real practical way, the joy of the Lord. So uh, I don't know if you saw this uh, uh, news clip, but I want to uh, just uh, play this news clip. Uh, if you didn't see it on TV, Blake, if you can get this to work, that you're just amazing. We Finally even... tonight, once you've made it to the big time, why would you ever want to go back down to the farm? Steve Hartman found the answer on the road. At one point, number 60, Jason Brown, was one of the best centers in the NFL. At one point, he had a five-year, $37 million contract with the St. Louis Rams. And at one point, he decided it was all meaningless and just walked away from football. My agent... You know, he told me, he said, you're making the biggest mistake of your life. And I looked right back at him. I said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. So what could possibly trump the NFL? You wouldn't believe. Jason Brown quit football to be a plain old farmer, even though he'd never farmed a day in his life. How did you learn even to do what you're doing? Get on the internet. You watch YouTube videos. So you learned how to farm from YouTube? Yeah. You can still plant your crops. Thanks to YouTube and some good advice from other farmers here in Lewisburg, North Carolina. This week, Jason finished harvesting his first five-acre plot of sweet potatoes. When you see them pop up out of the ground, man, it's the most beautiful thing that you could ever see. He says he has never felt more successful not in man's standards, but in God's eyes. But God cares about the NFL. I see people praying to him on the field all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot of people praying out there. But um, when, when I think about a life of, of greatness, I think about a life of, of service. Which leads us here. Which leads us here, yes. See, his plan for this farm which he calls First Fruits Farm, right. is to donate the first fruits of every harvest to food pantries. Today, it's all five acres, 100,000 pounds of sweet potatoes. It's unusual for a grower to grow a crop just to give away. Rebecca Page organizes food collection for the needy. And that's what Jason has done. And he's planning to do more next year. Jason has a thousand acres here which could go a long way toward eliminating hunger in this neck of North Carolina. Love is the most wonderful currency that you can give anyone. You sure you played in the NFL? <laughs> yes. Because I feel like cuddling you right now. Don't do that. <laughs> Jason may have left the NFL, but apparently holding is still a penalty.
Steve Hartman on the road in Lewisburg, North Carolina. There's a Hall of Famer. And that's the CBS Evening News. <laughs> I mean, you know, here's somebody that's doing something unusual, right? I mean, clearly his connection with God out there somewhere is not just a distant connection. It transcends $37.5 million uh, contract. Uh, he was, you know, when he said he was going to quit, people were signing him up, trying to sign him up for another five-year term. He's only 28 years old. I mean, you know, hey, how about another several million dollars for uh, extension? And he's saying, no, I love Jesus so much that I want to do something else other than football. And for him, as he just said, look, I want to make an impact. I, I, I want to serve. I want to love others. Well, that, that's really remarkable when you see the joy of the Lord uh, in a practical way uh, like uh, Jason Brown did. I mean, you know, it was like 50 tons of sweet potatoes. That's a, that's a lot of uh, sweet potatoes for, uh, for folks. So anyway, uh, I'm doing a, a, a hinge service today. We're moving into this uh, Advent series. I don't know if you received this little devotional booklet last week. Uh, if you did, great. Hopefully you're reading it. If you didn't, uh, we still have a whole bunch left. Does anybody want one that didn't get one? Bernadette will run around and, and gladly give you one. Uh, it's just a helpful way of entering into the Christmas season and uh, having a daily uh, devotional and uh, just receiving the blessing. That's what we've titled this series, From Now Through Christmas. And uh, I want to tie uh, two different um, series together. We've just finished uh, a series talking about buildings, talking about leadership, talking about faith. And so uh, as we bring that sort of series to an end and that season to an end, I want to just give you a, a summary update of where we're at uh, with our uh, facility uh, in, in summary. Uh, we've outgrown this facility, uh, feeling the most amount of pressure in the youth uh, or the lack of youth uh, rooms. No youth rooms. Our youth are in here with us today. Uh, and our children's ministry uh, being very uh, cramped, so uh, trying to get a, a larger facility. So the uh, again, in summary format, just the good news is uh, we paid a million dollars for this building. And uh, doing some legwork, we found out that it should be, we should be able to sell this building pretty easily. There seems to be a high demand for space like this uh, located here. Uh, also, uh, good news, we uh, spoke to the bank, and they said they'd be willing to lend us a million dollars. So that's helpful. Uh, uh, more good news, we've been faithful at you know, paying back our mortgage here, so we have about a half a million dollars worth of equity in this building. Uh, also, uh, you folks have been very generous over the last uh, six weeks. Uh, we've raised three hundred over three hundred thousand uh, dollars, and so when we put this all together, um, you know, we we are able to look for a facility uh, in the range of about two million dollars. Now, we didn't know at the beginning of this where, you know, where that would fall. Was it 2 million? Was it 3 million or 2.5 million? So, you know, I think 
$2 million is uh, what we could easily afford, uh, or not easily, but I mean, we could afford, <laughs> or what we could look for. So we said we would try and raise the money first, and then based on that, we would go out and look. So uh, here's the, the upside of that. We've uh, engaged a broker, and we've been running around looking for facilities, and uh, this is what we found. Exactly. <laughs> there is absolutely nothing to buy uh, for $2 million uh, uh, out there. I mean, the, the economy has turned, uh, and uh, everything that was available has been snapped up. Uh, so we said, okay, well, let's look at you know, uh, existing facility, let's look at land, let's look at leasing, let's look at everything. We came up with exactly nothing. <laughs> so uh, so uh, we in a, we in a, I think we're in a good position. You know, we're not, uh, we, we don't have to leave this place. I mean, we are a little uncomfortable here, but there's no pushing deadlines, uh, forcing us out. So we're not going to try and force something, even if we wanted to, we, we we don't have that luxury. There isn't anything. Uh, but, you know, we basically going to be now actively looking when things come up and uh, pounce on that, if, it's, if it fits and if it's right. But until then, uh, we're just going to be in a holding pattern uh, and waiting to see what God is going to be doing. I mean, the upside for me is that I really sense that God is up to something. You know, he's doing something. And uh, so, you know, now we're just waiting on the Lord for this. So, uh, Thank you, folks, for being uh, faithful. And, uh, you know, if you come across a facility or you know something, uh, speak to somebody on the, on the building committee, uh, Jeff, uh, John Lynch, Chris Burke, uh, any of those folks would be good contacts to, to speak to. But uh, let me... Uh, get to the, the topic at hand here, uh, talking about, uh, you know, moving into the blessing of the Lord and uh, recognizing when the Lord is blessing us. So uh, let me just pray. Lord, I just ask uh, that as I preach your word, uh, you would do what only you can do, which is to make your word be relevant and uh, impact our lives. Lord, that you'd grip us by your power of your Holy Spirit, that you'd speak to each one of us personally. Lord, that you would impart joy to each of us. That we don't just talk about it, but we actually experience your joy. So, Lord, I, I just invite your spirit to move in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to uh, look at Nehemiah, where we were, and uh, look at Nehemiah chapter 8. If you have a Bible, uh, you can follow along. If not, uh, let me just read it and tell you what's uh, happening in Nehemiah chapter 8. Well, uh, in context, what was going on as we've been uh, discussing this in the last few weeks, uh, the Jewish people had come out of exile. They were repopulating uh, Jerusalem. Uh, they first uh, rebuilt an altar. They then were rebuilding the walls around uh, Jerusalem. And it's been hard work. Uh, people have experienced all sorts of frustrations. Uh, there's been all sorts of arguments. But uh, finally, they get the job done. They've built the wall. And uh, Nehemiah, the leader, and Ezra, the priest, uh, they call a meeting. 
And uh, this is a, a time to just pause in their building project, pause in their life, and say, look, let's focus on the Lord. Uh, let's give thanks. And uh, more importantly, they want to renew the covenant. It's a covenant renewal ceremony. And you say, well, what exactly is a covenant renewal ceremony? Well, it's a time to uh, pause in their life and recognize that uh, God is up to something, uh, to recognize that they have accomplished the building of the wall, but it's also to recognize that there's still a lot of hardship. People are still battling. They're still struggling. They're still, you know, some are battling to get food on the table. Uh, some are, are, are pressed on all sides. There's still a drought going on. But even in the midst of all that, they're saying, we can experience the joy of the Lord. So uh, let me just read from Nehemiah chapter 8. And I'm reading from New Living Translation. In October, when the Israelites had settled in their own towns, all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel to obey. So on October 8, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men, the women, and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform and he be, uh, that had been made for the occasion. Now, I mean, just picture this. Uh, they build a platform, they stand up, and they're basically preaching the Bible, the law, the Old Testament, the Torah. And uh, the Levites are explaining exactly what it means, what's being preached, and people are standing and listening. Now, this is not what you'd call a seeker-sensitive service. I mean, uh, it's basically, hey, kids, youth, uh, stand, uh, you know, from early morning until noon. Just, like, stand the whole time and just listen to, uh, you know, Ezra and Nehemiah, the Levites, preaching and explaining the law. And uh, something remarkable happens. Uh, the people are really pressing in. They're trying to understand what's being said. They're trying to reestablish who they are with God. They have had a long, extended history, 70 years of living in exile. Now they're becoming a people again. And they, the starting point is to connect with God and to connect with God through the Word of God. And when people start reading the Word of God with an expectation that God is going to speak to them, things happen. And one of the things that happen is people's hearts get turned, uh, which is why you know, we always encourage you to read your Bible. Uh, and with the expectation of saying, God, speak to me. And uh, their hearts were turned. Uh, this story carries on. It says, in verse, uh, in verse 8, they read from the book of the Lord, and, clearly, and the Levites clearly explained the meaning of what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep 
on such a day as this. For today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Now, you know, this is an interesting thing. We don't know exactly why they were weeping. I mean, you could have been weeping because you're hearing the law, you're hearing what God's expectations are, and you realize you've fallen short. And there's a sense of, I want to please God, and man, uh, you know, I'm just nowhere close to that. And so God might be convicting them of what we'd say, God is convicting people of their sin. That's high, highly probable that that's what's going on. But it's also probable that just as they hear about God and God's plan for our lives and God's plan for their lives, that there's a sense of excitement, like God is active in our lives. And there's some sense of hope. There's some sense of joy that God is going to do something. And it's not totally unusual when people come here. You may have experienced it. You know, we start preaching the Word of God and you find you have an emotional response. I mean, you, you're holding back tears or, or God is stirring something in your heart. I mean, often, you know, I'm preaching on something out of the Bible and your mind is just like in another area where God is just moving and doing something in you. And so when we open ourselves up to the Word of God, it's not that unusual that we have an emotional response. I mean, God is moving. He's stirring us. He's doing something in us. And I think that's what's happening here with the people. Uh, but what's particularly interesting to me is the instruction that uh, Nehemiah and Ezra are giving the people. Uh, they're basically weeping. And Ezra and Nehemiah say, wait, wait, this is not the time to be weeping in that sense. This is the time to be celebrating and having a feast. Uh, this is not a time to have a fast. This is a time to be rejoicing. And so he says in verse 10, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I mean, let's think of that. I mean, there's a sort of an instruction here. Forget about it, your circumstances, what difficulties you're dealing with. Focus on receiving the joy of the Lord. Let me read that again. Don't be dejected and sad. Now, clearly they were. They were dejected and sad. And they, but the expectation is, for, you, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So, you know, we are always going to be going through hardships and difficulties. I mean, life is not perfect. I mean, you may have realized that. Uh, this is not heaven. This is earth. Uh, and that's why we look forward to heaven. And uh, let me just say, you know, Advent, the dictionary definition of Advent is the coming of Christ. So there's a dual sense of that. There's the first coming of Christ, which, you know, we look at and look at the manger scenes and we're mindful of how Christ came as a baby and, and there's that coming of Christ. But there's also the second coming of Christ. I mean, there's a longing in our hearts and saying things are not perfect. We're dealing with hardship, and there's a desire for things to be much better, and they could be better. There's a desire to see Christ return, come again, the second coming of Christ. There's an expectation that we should have for that. There's a longing. Now, again, just in context, I mean, you know, it's 2,000 years since Christ was crucified, and we're expecting Christ to return. But when Christ came the first time, uh, you know, folks were waiting like 500 years, and like 
How's this going to work out? And Jesus arrives on the scene, surprisingly, uh, again, to make a better day, to give people a sense of hope of, of a new covenant. So uh, I want to just look at that a little bit, you know, to say, on the one hand, what Nehemiah is encouraging the people to do is to pursue, pursue God. And so, again, I encourage you to pursue Christ. I mean, this Christmas season, this is the time for family. This is the time for feasting. This is the time for eating. I don't think we have a lot of problem in that area. <laughs> I think we have a problem in, like, can we slow down enough to actually sense the presence of God? Uh, you know, and uh, that's what we should be doing in this season. But uh, in summary, let's pursue Jesus. Let's be intentional about pursuing Jesus to experience the joy of the Lord. Now, if we take a, uh, a big view of, you know, high-level view of how does God communicate with us as individuals? How does he talk to us? How, does he, how has he dealt with mankind, humankind, uh, since the beginning? Well, in the Bible, it breaks out into two sections. There's the Old Testament, the New Testament. Or there's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And uh, just as we saw with Nehemiah saying, hey, let's do a covenant renewal ceremony, what's being picked up on is let's think about what Christ or what God has done. Now, one of the first covenants was a covenant that God did with Abram in Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 15, uh, the covenant goes this way. In fact, uh, let me just read some extracts of that covenant. And here is God uh, trying to speak to Abraham and reveal a little bit of who he is and who, who God is and who Abraham is. And in a similar way, we're trying to figure out over Christmas, like, who is God and who are we? And how do we experience that joy? Now, God is, you know, laying out a covenant. You know, what's helpful about taking a high-level view of how God speaks to us is that we tend to do exactly the opposite. We tend to start with ourselves, and uh, we say, God, I've got this problem in my life, and I don't see you active in it. And I've got this problem in my life, and I don't see you active there either. And God, I wish you'd just do a little bit about this problem and about this situation. And then eventually we just don't see God at all because we're starting from our standpoint. Uh, it does us well to pause with that idea for a bit and to say, well, how does God speak to us? What's the, the other way around? How has God done it in the past? So look how he does this covenant. And you may have heard of this phrase, cutting a covenant, and you get it from here. And uh, God says to Abram, he says, I want to do a covenant. I want to reveal something to you. I want to make a treaty with you. Uh, well, I need to back up a little bit. In that day and age, if two different nationalities or tribes or chiefs or whatever wanted to make a contract between each other, and you wanted to come up with some sort of really uh, public agreement where everybody would understand what this, the deal is. You would cut a covenant. And in that tradition, in that time, the way this would work is they would either uh, dig out a furrow in the ground or look for a piece of geographical landscape 
that had a natural furrow. And then what you would do is you'd go get a whole bunch of animals and you'd cut them. You'd cut them in half, not like long ways, like you, you know, maybe eat uh, a fish down the, down the spine. And you put half on this side, on half on that side, and then you'd let the blood all run down into the trench at the bottom. I mean, this is like brutal, gruesome stuff, right? There's no way you can miss the imagery here. I mean, it was like, okay, there's dead animals. And then what you did, the two like leaders, the chiefs, would uh, grab their garments, they'd pick them up, and they'd both walk next to each other in the blood, past all these animals, and then this is the deal. They'd say, listen, if you break this contract, that's what it's going to look like to you. <laughs> okay, pretty clear word picture, you know. I mean, think of it if we did that like with marriage covenant, you know. Okay, like you mess up. <laughs> I mean, I mean they, they got the picture, right? You didn't have to have, like, volumes of pages of contracts and lawyers to interpret it. Just, yikes, it doesn't look good, and it doesn't feel good on my feet either. And they walk through, and you get to the other side, okay, we're good. That, I, I get the contract. Okay, that's what God was going to do with Abraham. And so he says to Abraham, bring me a three-year-old heifer. This is uh, Genesis uh, 15, verse 9. A three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the half side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. And then it says, as the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep. After the sun went down, dropping down to verse 17, and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking firepot and a flaming torch pass between the, ha the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to you and your de descendants. Now, just backing up a bit here, Abraham, Abram at that point, he was focused on one problem, that he didn't have kids. It was all consuming for him. He's like, I want kids, I want kids. It's like, God, I mean, you're a great God, but I don't have kids, you know. And all he could think about was kids. And God is saying, okay, in this thing, he says, Abraham, look, I can take care of the kid thing. That's not the big deal. Believe me, I'm going to take care of the kid thing in a big way. The big deal is I want to have relationship with you. I have a plan for you and through you for nations. That's the big deal. But, you know, we're human. That's the same problem we have. We just get so focused on our little problem or whatever, our big problem, and we sometimes miss the joy of the Lord, what God is doing in us and around us. I mean, we can go through this whole Christmas season and just miss the whole point of the Christmas season. And uh, the, the thing to note about this covenant, though, is that Abraham, Abram, at that point, does not actually walk with God through this trench. God walks through it alone. What God does is he lets Abraham go into a deep sleep, and he lets Abraham like, realize what's happening through a dream. Now, it's not like some sort of delusional dream, like you wake up, what happened there? I mean, Abraham just cut all these animals. I mean, he's like, okay, I'm, I'm familiar with what I've done. I've prepared this whole thing. But it's God alone that walks through. In other words, it's God that does all the hard work. 
in your life and in our life. It's God that does the heavy lifting. It's God that makes the promise. It's God that's pursuing you, and it's God that's pursuing me. It's God that's reliable. We'll mess up all the time. You know, if, we had to, if Abram had walked with God, he, I mean, he, he would have been like the dead animals. It was like he would mess up. God knew that. He said, I won't mess up. You might mess up, Abram. I've got you covered. I've got you covered. It's a one-way promise. God, I, God is saying, I'm faithful, and I love you, and I'm going to bless you. Your job, Abram, is to believe. And Abram did an awesome job of believing. Not only do you have to believe, you have to receive. You have to receive the Spirit of God, the love of God, and the belief that God is actually uh, true and real. We have to believe, we have to receive. So that sets up you know, the Old Testament, one of the covenants in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, uh, Jesus sets up a whole new covenant, New Testament, new covenant. And uh, if we look at Luke chapter 22, and we look at communion, we look at the Last Supper, we see Jesus saying, wait a bit, guys, I've got you, the disciples, we're hanging out together, it's the end of Jesus' ministry. He says, I want to do a new covenant. A new means the old one is done away with. It's a new contract, a new testament, a new covenant. It's a new deal. It's a new day. And uh, Jesus is saying to his disciples, this is the way the new covenant is going to work. Let me read it to you. Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. He broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my own blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. I mean, the imagery is so rich. There's a continuation in the Old Testament with the New Testament. And Jesus is saying, blood needs to be poured out from God's standpoint. And he's saying, this is important stuff. This is serious stuff. Not only is it going to be blood poured out, not like the Old Testament where there's animals. No, this is going to be God's own blood. It's his son. It's Jesus. He's going to pour out his blood. And that's what's going to make this contract, this covenant, Perfect. Because, again, we are going to mess up, but Jesus is not going to mess up. This is a new covenant. It's a covenant where we can receive the Spirit of God to live within us, to give us joy from within. So as we receive Christ, when we say, Jesus, I believe. God, I believe that you exist. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. Jesus, I believe that you rose again. And Jesus, I believe that you are personal. Jesus said he would give us the Holy Spirit, which would reside within us. But we have to receive it. We have to say, God, yes, I believe and I receive. Now, for some people, uh, you know, that's a squishy line. They've just grew up in faith like my kids. You know, they, they always went to church. Uh, I don't know when they crossed the line from, you know, not having faith to having faith. It sort of was incremental. 
And uh, at some point, though, they crossed this line of being saved, of being born again, of being in the family of God, of knowing that God is real and you've received him. For others, like myself, it was a time specific. I mean, it, you know, I just bumbling along in life and finally it's like the presence of God in circumstances line up and say, God, I, for the first time for me, it was like, I believed. I didn't believe growing up. I was an atheist growing up. All of a sudden, I'm like, God, you are real. I believe. But there's also the point where you have to say, I receive. You know, God, not only you're you real out there somewhere, I'm asking you to come into my heart. And you're understanding these promises. And, you know, that becomes at times certain. Uh, but as a result of that, we have this joy which you know, permeates our lives. No matter how difficult the circumstances or what we're going through, there's always a sense that we have hope in Christ. Christ can not only change our immediate circumstances, but he has the ability to give us a future, a hope, an eternity, or that Christ would return and change the way things are. There's a hope and a joy in the power of Christ and the love of Christ. So as we take communion today as a church, uh, I want us to just, uh, you know, really just say yes to God. Uh, why don't we have the uh, worship team coming up uh, just as we get ready for um, communion, and we'll just leave the lights on for, for communion. But, you know, as we enter this Advent season, as we enter this Christmas time period, uh, the question I have for you is, do you want to say yes to Jesus? I mean, yes to the joy of the Lord. Uh, yes to, like Abraham, Lord, I want to follow you. Uh, yes, Lord, you know, I have my problems. I don't have kids, uh, uh, you, you know, Lord, but you just say things which are so big and grand, I, I can't really grasp them, but I believe you. Uh, so why don't we just bow our heads and, you know, just give a chance to say yes to Jesus. So Jesus, we just say, for those that, for you that want to say it, just say it quietly. I'm not asking you to speak out loud. But just in your heart, Lord, I just, at this Advent season, I just want to say yes to you. Uh, Jesus, I just want to say yes. You came as a baby. And you transformed the world. But Jesus, I want to say yes to knowing you better. I want to say yes to living your lifestyle. Lord, I just want to say yes, because I understand the connection between obeying you and being blessed by you. And Jesus, I just want to say yes, help me. Help me to become more like you, Jesus. Help me to be more loving. Help me, Jesus, to love others, to love my spouse, to love my kids. Help me, Jesus. I just want to say yes. I just give you all my sin. I give you all my mistakes. I give you all my heartaches, everything that gives me tension, I give it to you. And I just say, yes, Jesus. I say yes to your joy. Yes to your peace. Yes. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Jesus, we just say, yes, you died on the cross. Your body was really physically broken. Your blood really did pour out for us. You really did make a new covenant with us. Jesus, you really did rise again. 
And Jesus, we really do take communion this morning in obedience to what you're saying, to remember you, to remember what you've done. We say yes to you, Jesus. Amen. When you're ready, uh, come on down, take communion. We've got stations at the back, so if you're on that side of the pillars, go that way. If you're this side of the pillars, come this way. Come with your family, if you like. Uh, uh, come on up and, and take communion. Yes, Jesus, we just say yes to you. And again, Lord God, we just give you our problems, our burdens. And Lord, we just put them at the foot of your cross. Lord, all our sin nature, the things we do wrong, the things that have been done wrong to us, Lord, we just give them to you. I uh, would like Kevin to come up and just share what might be pertinent to you in terms of a word. If uh, this is what God is stirring your heart, uh, from prayer time this morning before church, uh, we just ask God to, you know, maybe there's something personally wants to say to somebody. So, Kevin, what do you come up with? All right. Um, so I just want to share a couple things with you. Uh, this morning there was a, a picture of uh, some of us kind of stuck in these boxes in, in, in the darkness and that uh, the Lord was pouring his light through the roof, through the boxes, and, and the boxes uh, broke away. Um, so maybe there's some of you this morning who feel like you're separated from someone else uh, through judgments, unforgiveness, fear. Uh, I believe the Lord wants to pour his light in and break down those, those things that separate us. Uh, and, and also, may, maybe there's some of you who feel like you're separated from God, and I believe he wants to break down those barriers as, as well. Um, and then secondly... Uh, in 1 John 1, John writes about his personal experience with uh, Jesus. Um, he, uh, he saw him with his eyes. He touched him with his hands. He was the word of life. And I believe that uh, maybe for some of you this morning, the Lord wants you to have a personal encounter. He wants to reveal himself to you in a personal way. He wants to touch your life um, in, in a specific uh, personal way. So... Uh, and, and if you'd like prayer for anything else not related to that, uh, we, we'd love to pray with you as well. Great. Why don't you stand? I just want to pray a, a blessing over you. And uh, if you want prayer, come on, come on up. That'll be great. You can do the lights for me. Lord Jesus, I just pray for your people. Lord, I just pray for your joy. Lord, that the joy that you give us will be our strength. And Lord, I just pray that no matter what circumstances that we're in, we can access your peace, your joy, and your hope. I just lift up your people during this Advent season that we expect, we long for more of you. In your name, Jesus, amen. Bless you, folks. Have a great uh, remaining weekend. If you want to have dialogue, go in the lobby, get coffee out in the foyer. Uh, if you want prayer, come forward. If you want to just stay in your chairs and pray to the Lord, uh, you're welcome to do that too. But take the dialogue and discussion out so those that want prayer can receive it. Bless you.